Good morning, everybody. It's very, very, very good to be here. It's good to be back. I was here, uh, I think, uh, a year ago, and uh, a little over a year ago. And uh, I have to tell you, though, I'm a little disappointed. I I really missed the VOG. Um, yeah, when I was here, I had never even heard of it before, but you were having a bad VOG thing going. And it really was comforting to me because it... To cough after you breathe, it just reminded me of being home in Los Angeles and to be able to, there's just something good about being able to see what you're breathing, you know, and so, and I came and the air is so clear and the sky so blue, I, I'm, so, I'm really disappointed, I'm sorry, and, and hopefully, hopefully that there's, there's Vogue someday in your future. So Sean is great, our Hawaiians are great, one of the reasons I know that the Lord is blessing Life Pacific College is because the number of Hawaiian students just continues to grow. Matter of fact, we have several, from one from Oahu, or a couple from Oahu, and uh, of course, Sean, and, and uh, they did a skit. We had a luau, and uh, it was a blowout, man. The whole campus was rocking and swaying, you know? And, uh, and uh, so they, did, they did a skit on what it's like to be Hawaiian at Life Pacific. And it was uh, the difference between being a Hawaiian and a mainlander and going to the beach, you know. So the Hawaiian students come out and they just say, hey, man, let's go to the beach. All right. Here we go. They got board shorts and little T-shirts. And here they go. They wait a minute. We're going to take somebody with us, you know. And then this kid from the mainland comes out. And he's got like four lawn chairs, you know, and pulling an ice chest. They got white stuff all over his nose. Hey, wait, guys. I want to go to the beach, you know. They're... Actually, they were kind of cold, you know, but it was hilarious. It was hilarious. Um, well, it's good to be um, back in New Hope. Um, uh, this is a great church. This is a great church. And uh, sometimes it's easy to think this is the way all churches are, but it's not true. Uh, this is not the norm. This is... Uh, the exception, a, a church that is full of love, acceptance, forgiveness, where where people are invited and people are anxious to bring their friends to church. That's what a church should be. So often churches are these these tough, kind of toxic environments that that nobody nobody really wants to go, even the people that are there, but they kind of have to be. And so. Uh, this is a this is a great church, and it's something to be very grateful for, and to give the praise to God for. But, Amen. Um, it's it's a great church, but it's not great by accident. It just didn't happen. It's just a great church just didn't pop up. It's great by design, but it's not. A person's design. It's not a founding pastor's design or any of the pastors that have served here or even your present pastor, as wonderful as he is. Really, the greatness of this church is by the design of God. God designed and intended this church to be great. Matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says, We are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God made you for a reason. He, he, you're His workmanship. The word workmanship is the word poema, from which we get our word poem. We're, we're something designed and created by God to be a specific communication. And what does He want you to communicate? He wants you to communicate through your works His love and His goodness. He... 
He designed you. He wired you for this purpose. Now, the partnership that we have with God, if you think about it, it will blow your mind. Because first of all, just think about the level of commitment God showed when he said, I want to partner with the human race. First of all, you have the God of the universe who is really, really big. He's, he's part Samoan. He's very, very big. Big and strong. And, and he, he loves us so much and we're so lost and we've gone so astray that, that how he reaches us is God becomes a man. Think about that. The God of the universe becomes a five foot eight, 160 pound uh, man. God as a man. And it wasn't just acting like a man, like cheeky, cheeky, cheek, appearing as a man, but it's just like a real kind of like a costume and then peeky, peeky, and then back to God. No. God became a man and he will always be the eternal God man. Jesus will always be the eternal God man. There won't be a time when he no longer is the God man. That is how committed he is to you. For eternity, he has taken the form of a man. He is the God man forever. Not just that, but all of us, we get all healed up. You know, the, the stuff that happens to us here, it, it, it goes bye-bye to a great extent, but not Jesus. The Bible says that after the resurrection, he says to Thomas, look at the wounds in my hands, put your hand in the hole in my side. In other words, after the resurrection, he still carried the marks of his love for you. The Bible says that we're going to look upon him whom we have pierced when he returns. In other words, for all eternity, he is completely and totally committed to you without reservation. Not just that, but the partnership goes on and he says, And I won't do anything on earth except partnering with my people. What do I mean by that? Well, when Jesus was here... The way he got around was by his body, right? He just didn't levitate, you know. He walked from here to there. He used his feet, used his legs. If he wanted to go from Nazareth down to Capernaum to share with them the love of God, he walked the miles down to Capernaum. When he was there, if he sees somebody that has a disease, somebody that would be crying maybe, um, he, um, he, would, he would go over and he would lay his gentle hands on them. And if the person was sick, he would put his hands on them and he would pray for them and they would be healed because his hands touched their disease. So think about a leper who all of their life maybe didn't know the human touch. All they knew was shunning. All they knew was hatred and spit and rocks and venom. They were a leper. They were the totally outcasts. And so they never knew a, a human touch. Then all of a sudden, they're still going, they're, they're begging, trying to survive. And this man walks up to them. And instead of kicking them, kicking at them or throwing a rock at them, this man walks up to them and he puts out his hand. And on their disease, he puts his hand. They've not ever had maybe a human touch. And all of a sudden, their skin is made new. They're healed. Or a woman who has been an outcast because of her immoral lifestyle. All she has ever known is shame. All she's ever known is disgust from the upright citizens of the town. And here comes this man who tells her, your sins are forgiven. 
Go and sin no more. There's a place for you in your father's house. You can come home again. See, they'd never heard this. Now, how did he tell them? He told them using his vocal cords and his tongue and his lips. He gave them this message. He communicated his message. He communicated the love of God through his body. There wasn't any other way that he did it. So then he dies and goes to heaven. How is he going to do it now? He does it the exact same way. No difference. He communicates through his body. But now, he only has one body on earth, and that's you. You are now, the Bible says, the body of Christ. So that if God wants somebody to be touched and healed, he's going to send you over, and as his body, when you put your hand on them, you are the hand of Christ, and God ministers healing. Somebody's discouraged. They're thinking, boom, I'm out of here. I can't take this anymore. God's going to send someone from his body. He's going to walk over there and say, let's go get some coffee. And, let me, and you give them a hug and, they, and you let them know there's hope. You can make it through. Things are going to get better. Hang in there. God went by his body, you. There is no other way. He doesn't ride it across the sky. He doesn't send a DVD. If he does send a DVD, it's because your hand put it in the envelope and sent it on over there. You're his body. That's the, that's the deep level of, commun- of partnership that God has with us. Now, <clears throat> I want to talk for just a minute, though, about how not to lose that. Because I've seen it happen. I've seen churches that were great, doing great stuff, where something happens and the church shrinks down to just barely a handful. I've seen leaders that were great, man, just, just, just loving people, touching people. Two years later, you see them, they're just a shell of what they were. I've seen people get turned on, man, to the love of Christ, and they're moving and shaking. And a few years later, you look at them, and it's just this, something's gone, something's wrong. What happened? I think it has to do with what we're talking about today. I want to talk a few minutes today about the key to continuing greatness in our lives. And I want to start by looking at a kind of an odd passage, but within it is a huge principle and a huge warning. So we're going to look at Numbers chapter 20, verse 1. The Bible says, In the first month the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and there they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. There was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert, that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grains or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Now the background is, these are the children of Israel who have come out of Egypt. 400 years before, God's chosen people, the Jews, had gone down from the promised land into Egypt because of a famine. So Jacob and 70 of his relatives went to Egypt. That's all that they numbered. While they got there, they settled in a place called Goshen, which was green and beautiful. And over the next 400 years, they grew to a group very strong, several million big in 400 years. But God didn't intend them to stay there. He wanted them to get out so they'd go to the promised land. So whenever he wants us to move, he usually makes things uncomfortable. 
So the, a pharaoh comes up who didn't remember the uh, basis of them being down there and how good God had been to Egypt through the Jews. He began to persecute them and enslave them. They call out for a deliverer and God sends them a deliverer that will lead them out of Egypt to the promised land. And the name of that deliverer was Charlton Heston. <laughs> and so, so they, he leads them out, he leads them out, and, but now they're in the wilderness and they're complaining. They say, man, it's yucky out here. Why'd you bring us out here? So Moses and Aaron went into the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff that you and your brother Aaron gathered the, uh, and gather the assembly together. Speak to the rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as the Lord commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and the livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. You know, God is kind and gracious, compassionate, loving, forgiving, and tender. I just don't think He's quite as nice as we make Him out to be. Because this is kind of cold, man. This is kind of chilly on God's part. I mean, Moses. Moses gets frustrated pastoring a church of five million people. Pastors get frustrated. Not Pastor Sheldon, but pastors like me. We get frustrated with a handful of people. Now, these five million people are constantly complaining. that Oh, we want to go back to the First Assembly of Egypt church, you know. Where Pastor Pharaoh, Pastor Pharaoh could really preach, man. And oh, the luau's they had. We had the Kalua pig. Even now, we could get a pig because the law hadn't been given. We could do all that kind of stuff. You bring us out here, and all we got to eat out here, our luau's, is manna. Manna, a little tiny crispy wafer that they would find in the morning. So, man, there'd be manna burgers and manna tacos, manna musubi, you know. For the Italians, manicotti, they would just, they would, they would have that. And, and, and so he blows it in frustration one time. And because he blows it, he doesn't get into the promised land. Man, what? Well, God goes on, explains a little more in Deuteronomy 32, 48. It says, on the same day the Lord told Moses, Go up into the Abiram range in Mount Nebo and Moab across from Jericho and view Canaan, the land I'm giving to the Israelites as your own possession. That's even kind of cold too, man. You go up there, you get to look at it. You just don't get to go into it. Man, I'd rather not even see it. There on the mountain that you climbed, you will die and gather to your people. Just as you... Your brother, you and, just as your brother Aaron died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. This is because both of you broke faith with me in the presence of the Israelites at the waters of Meribah, Kadesh, in the desert of Zin, and because you did not uphold my holiness among the Israelites. Therefore, you will see the land only from a distance. You will not enter the land I am giving to the people of Israel. 
because you did not uphold my holiness among the Israelites. He didn't get a DUI. He didn't get caught watching HBO late night. He was a man of God who the Bible describes as the most humble man that ever lived. What did he do that was so bad? Well, the Bible says he took the glory of God for himself. He was told to speak to the rock, but instead he hit it and said, Must we bring you water? And when he said that, God goes, We? If you're talking about the Trinity, you ain't in it, Holmes. <laughs> and, and because of that, he missed out. He missed out on something really great. Why do so many people miss out on the greatness of living life in the kingdom? Why do so many marriages that God intended to be a picture of Christ in the church, a place where both members are just laying their lives down for each other, why do so many marriages seem to simmer with this low-level, constant civil war? I think it's because subtly... Almost imperceptibly, life and ministry becomes about them. It became about Moses for Moses. My ministry, my church, my side of the marriage, my future. How am I being perceived? Am I getting the kind of respect that I deserve? Did they hug me or did they just shake my hand? Did they invite me over to this uh, gathering? Was I invited to be part of this team? Me, 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 me. And when it becomes about us, we miss the best stuff of life in the kingdom. You see, it slowly... As we fight this amazing and sometimes terribly difficult battle of representing God to the world, it can become about us. And here's how you know it's becoming about you. You find yourself with this growing level of resentment. You just, you don't want to admit it because you don't want people to think that you're not all that great, you know. But you resent. You resent your spouse. You, you resent your children. You resent going to work. You resent your cubicle. You resent your chair. You know? They're all stacked against you. You know? And, and slowly, 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 we, it becomes about us. And we miss out on what is truly the greatest thing on earth, the greatest experience we can have, which is helping those around us succeed, which is another term for fruitful ministry. And I think we have to regularly each, I know I do, ask ourselves, am I letting it become about me? I mean, our greatest model in this is Jesus. Our greatest model of someone great who made it about others is Jesus. I mean, first of all, he's in heaven and he's pretty much set, you know? He's the God of the universe. I mean, he's set. And so 
The problem is though, He loves us so much and we're lost. We've gone our own way. And the end result of that, the paycheck we receive for that, the wages of sin, is death, which is eternal separation from God. We have no hope. We have lost it. And there's nothing we can do to turn it around. We are headed for hell. But God loved us so much that He says, I can't let this happen. And the way He saves us is the God of the universe, who is huge. The, the constellations all fit in the span of His hand. Becomes a man, five foot eight, hundred and sixty pound Jew. Becomes a man, and you would think, "Hey, I'm God. I should be born in a palace in luxury." He's born in a manger, a drinking trough for farm animals, all stinky and nasty. Born in a trough. His parents, when they dedicate him, bring the offering reserved for the poorest of the poor. Not because they didn't love God, but that was their socioeconomic status. And then even as he, as he grows and, and, and he finds out what the cost is for our salvation, I mean, he doesn't have to go to the cross. He could have gone right back to heaven, but we would have had no hope. But he made it about us. So the Bible says they beat his face beyond recognition as a human being. They plucked his beard out by the roots. They hammered thorns that long down into his scalp with a staff. They whipped his back with metal barbs that left his skin hanging in shreds. And they nailed him to a cross naked in front of thousands of pilgrims who spit on him and laughed at him and jeered him. Why? Because he loved you so much that that was the price tag for our sins, that he would die that death. He's our model. Even the way he did ministry was about helping other people succeed. There's a very, very simple approach to discipleship, which is, which is the Jesus model of discipleship. It has to be simple or I won't understand it. And here it is simply. Jesus discipled this way. He started out by doing it. First, Jesus did it. He shows up and he goes to people and says, You know, the Father loves you. No matter where you are, He loves you. And His arms are open to you. Come to the Father and come to His love. Someone was sick. He says, Father, heal this person. And the healing virtue of Christ flows. He says, Someone over here is discouraged, full of guilt. He goes and brings them forgiveness. Then he says, first Jesus did it, then Jesus did it as the disciples watched. He calls some guys over, he goes, hey, you all, come over here, check this out, check this out. You just watch. So he does it while the disciples are watching, and they're going, ooh, that's cool, mm-hmm, that's awesome, yep, that's right. And he's just preaching, feeding, then he goes, hey, why don't you do it with me? Us? Not us? Yeah, you do it with me. So... Let's feed these 5,000 people with just a couple of loaves of bread. Us? Yeah, let's do this. Let's do this together. So I'll break it. I pray. Now you give it to the people. Okay? The disciples feed 5,000 people. They're like, what in the world? Wow, 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 wow. So he does it with them. Then he says, now you do it. You go preach. You go preach. You go pray for the sick. Cast out that demon. Come on. It'll go. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, no, 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 no. That doesn't work that way. Do it this way. Or, wait, this is a big demon. Have you, have you been praying at all? Not so much. I've been busy. It's football season. Okay, pray. Pray. Uh, um, it's obvious you haven't been missing any meals. You need to fast probably a little bit. But that's, this, when you find this kind of demon, this is how you do that one. Okay, okay. He, they, he, they do it while he watches. Then he leaves them doing it. 
And now they're doing ministry. That's Jesus' model of discipleship. It was all built around setting these, these people free to do what God had called them to do. But even as they had figured out this key, it's always, it's always there for us to get confused and lose it. Even the James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who had made it about themselves, they were angling for first-class seats in heaven. When Jesus sees that, he uses it as a teaching moment. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 24, he says, When the ten heard about this, they were indignant at the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus says, look, how can you want to be served? How can you make yourself the center of the universe when the Son of Man himself, Jesus, didn't come to be served himself? If anyone deserved to be served, it was Jesus. Because not even the Son of Man came to be served. But he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I've pastored two churches in my life. The first one I pastored lived for six years and then died. I failed as a church planter the first time I tried. And I died too. But it was a good death. It was an important death. The second church I pastored was different. And it thrived beyond my wildest dreams and continues to thrive. Now, the biggest difference, I think, was the second time around, I had learned the joy of helping those around me to succeed, be prosperous and successful, and not worry about whether I was going to succeed, be prosperous or successful. It wasn't about me. It was about helping those around me succeed. And life and ministry and marriage and everything is so much better when it's not about us. But it's about serving the, round, the ones around us to success. And I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you that it's better. Think of these two feelings. The two feelings you have in these two circumstances. The first circumstance. Think of how good it feels when you get something you want. That's a good feeling, right? Now, you ain't that spiritual. It feels good when you get something you want. You know, you, you, you want a, a new uh, Xbox, you know, or you, uh, you want a new surfboard or something, you know, and, and you get it. That feels good to get what you want. But compare that with this feeling. Somebody you love, you get them a present. They have no idea it's coming. Matter of fact, they think they're sold out. They think there's no chance for them to get it. These things are so out of stock, but you got it. You were at Kmart at 4 o'clock in the morning, you know. You were the first in line. The guy unloaded the truck. He said, thank you so much. And you took it. And then you paid for it. And you got it. Nobody else got it, but you got it for your baby. You got it. And now it's under the tree. And now they're opening presents. And you're just going, oh, man. And they open the first one. Oh, socks. Yeah, thank you so much. Whatever. But inside, you're just dying inside. And then the person you love opens that present and goes, you didn't. And you go, I did. How did you find it? Because I'm bad. 
again. Ah, they're so happy. And you're looking at this person just beaming that you love, getting something they never dreamed they would get. How does that feel? Compare those two feelings. They're not even comparable. The first one's okay. The second one is off the charts. Now, why is that? Because you're all that good a person? No. Because you're made in the image of God. That's God's reflection in you. God is wired that way and wired us that way. He wants to serve you to success. It brings joy to his heart to see you leave behind a destructive habit that's killing you. He brings joy to his heart to see you get a relationship right that is like daggers in your heart. He loves to see you get the relationship right with him, get forgiveness flowing in your life. That makes God's, God happy. We didn't learn it on our own. God made us this way. He made us to have the greatest joy in life when we give ourselves to helping those around us succeed and not be concerned about our own success. Now, <clears throat> the magic of discovering your voice and helping those around you find theirs, there isn't anything better in life. And so often, if you look at broken relationships, people you don't talk to no more, uh, times that we've gotten angry and times that we have felt disrespected or we've broken fellowship with another group in the church or it's got the heck out of this church and gone to that church or what have you, I think we can usually trace it back to somewhere it had become about us. It had, we had become the center of the equation. Matter of fact, James chapter 4 verse 1 says it this way. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desire when your desires battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight, and you do not have because you do not ask God. Or when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. What's the wrong motive? That you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. God doesn't give me this. God gave it to him, but how come he don't give me this? How come he doesn't give me that? How come he doesn't give me this promotion? How come he doesn't give me this? Because our hearts are said, it's about us. But when we make it about others, everything changes. I've seen marriages that are truly, truly sick. But it's okay. My wife got counseling. We're doing better now. No, 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 no. No, I've seen marriages. She's not here, so I could say that. Uh, I won't be saying that at the 11th service. I've seen marriages that are truly sick. And when you drill down, you find two people living in competition with each other. This relationship that was designed by God to be a picture of Christ in the church, Christ laying down His life for the church, the bride laying down her life for her Lord, that's what marriage is supposed to be a picture of. You look at the actual marriage, it's everything but that. They're in competition. When one gets ahead, the other resents it. And says, man, man, you know, you don't deserve that. How come I don't get that kind of stuff? They're not pulling for each other. They're pulling against each other. I've seen it. I've seen careers that have ground to a halt. person has all the potential in the world. They go to work for a place, and five years later, no promotions. Hardly any raises. Everyone's passing them by. Just ground to a halt. But man, if you look, very often you find the arrows point this way. It's become about me. But I've also known people that have grown and risen in their fields, whose career path 
has been marked by a care for others and helping others succeed. Just being around these kind of people makes me a better person. I mean, that's just the way they live. That's the way they live. But the Bible says it very clearly in Proverbs 11.25. And here's the principle. A generous man will prosper, and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. It doesn't say that a person that refreshes himself will be refreshed. It says that a person will, that refreshes others will himself be refreshed. You're not going to be blessed financially when you hold your money for yourself. You're just going to have your money for yourself. But when you become the kind of person that uses his or her resources to bless others, then the Bible says you give and it will be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together. Why? So you can have more and bigger and better? No, because God has finally found a blessable person. A person who understands that we're blessed to be a blessing. Now I know this kind of lifestyle is contrary to the Jerry Springer culture that we live in. You're not there for me. I've got to get mine. It's my sexy body. I do what I want. You know, I know. I know. But why do we let that culture and its idiocy set our culture? It's not about getting yours. It's not about getting what you deserve and treat me the way that I should be treated. No, that's not life in the kingdom of God. If you want to learn to be great, become a servant, the Bible says. And being a servant doesn't mean just go, oh yeah, whip me, beat me, make me feel like scum. Yeah, now I'm more like... No! Being a servant simply means set your heart and mind on helping those around you be successful. Great pastors, like your pastor, that's the way they live. They set their heart to help the teams around them be successful. Forgive, let go. You'll blow the people's minds in your life. You'll be successful beyond your wildest dreams. I mean, are you stuck in your job? Then don't, don't say, man, it just is all stacked against me and nobody around here appreciates me. No. On the contrary, go, go brag about the person in the next cubicle. Brag about that person. Go to your supervisor and say, this person is great. They should have a promotion. Go, 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 go cheer on. Help the other people around you shine. And what you'll find is he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. You'll be promoted, I believe, beyond your wildest dreams because it's no longer about you. It's about you helping those around you succeed. In your marriage, your marriage struggling... Well, quit trying to get yours. Quit trying to get the place in the marriage that you deserve. Give yourself to helping your partner be successful. Pray for that person. Serve him. Serve her. Love them. Help them. That's what Christ did. Even Christ with the church. The Bible says about Christ in the church, Christ the groom. It says that he is working to present us spotless and blameless. That he's going to hold up his bride for eternity to say, Look how beautiful she is. Look at what my church has become. Even Christ, the God of the universe, is going to brag on his church for eternity. It's the model. It's the secret to true greatness. Now... <clears throat> Let me share with you the most wonderful words any congregation can ever hear a speaker or a pastor say. Let me close with this. 
See? Your heart's just leapt with joy. I think our most critical juncture in this principle is this. How we look at the next generation. Because if we don't apply this to the next generation, then we are in for a whole bunch of trouble. Average pastor in Foursquare is about 55 years of age. We have some in their 40s, uh, only a handful in their 30s, and very, very, very few in their 20s. There's a grain going on in leadership. And then this generation, man, they, they've been called a fatherless generation. Uh, nobody mentoring them. Their father was gone, and whatever. No, they're from broken homes. They're taught from the newspapers and from school that they're just an accident and completely expendable. Just a little speck of dust that is going through a meaningless universe. That's what they're taught in school and in colleges. But then we come along and we say, in Jesus' name, no, you are not fatherless. You have a Father in heaven who loves you and has an incredible purpose for your life. And we come along and say, you are not an accident. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and all of your days are ordained by the Lord before you lived one, and you have a destiny. And I will give all that I have and all that I am to help you get there. And I know that I will probably not live to see the fruit, but that's okay because it's not about me. It's about the King. And for me... It's about you. That's the key to greatness. You see, we need to plant oak trees again. We don't plant oak trees anymore. It's back on the mainland. We like to plant maple trees so that in two years we have shade. Wow, look at my big tree. But when you plant an oak tree, you're planting something that you're not going to enjoy. It's a step of faith. You're planting a tree that you will never enjoy. And future generations of young people will climb those branches. Long after you're dead, they'll be climbing those branches. Future young people will be courting under those leaves, you know. Future old people will be taking their medications together under those <laughs> branches. But if we don't invest in the next generation, we are lost. And you say, no, 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 you overstate it because God's always going to come through. Yeah, he is going to come through. But if you understand history and church history in particular, there's a little thing called the Dark Ages. Where an entire, where centuries, two, three hundred years were in darkness and the gospel got down to a tiny little flicker. Where untold thousands never had a chance to receive Christ. Why? Because leaders dropped the ball. Leaders made it about them and did not care about investing in the next generation. But not this generation, not us. We must apply this principle. We must plant oak trees. Because the Bible calls this generation oaks of righteousness. But it takes a generation that won't be here to see the fruit make the commitment. One of my goals is to get to Spain. Here's my plan. I'm going to Spain. In the morning, I'm going to go tour castles and museums. You know, I love history. And do all of the sightseeing stuff. Then around lunch, you're going to stop and have a lunch of tapas, which is good stuff, you know. Have tapas. Then in the afternoon, go take a siesta as God would will it, you know. Take a nice two-hour siesta in the afternoon. 
Then about 5.30, get dressed up, you know, and go walk in the placita. See the people and hang out. About 7, 7.30, go start this meal of seafood paella. And just eat till I'm cross-eyed paella, you know. <laughs> then about 11, go find a place that has flamenco dancing. I'm not going to tell you if I'm going to drink wine because it's none of your business. <laughs> I'm going to watch flamenco. I'm going to watch flamenco till about 3 o'clock in the morning. And then I'm going to go back to the hotel with Dee and we're going to fall asleep there and get up the next morning and do it all over again. Now, when I go to Spain, there's something I want to see. It's called the Sagrada Familia Cathedral. It's in Barcelona. I've never seen it. This is a mind-boggling structure. I think we have some pictures of it. It was designed by a guy named Antoni Gaudi. To some, it is the most beautiful man-made structure that they have ever seen. To some, it's not. But to some, they just say, we've never seen anything like this before. Now, <clears throat> the groundbreaking for this cathedral was in 1882. Gaudi died in 1926. The building that he designed is expected to be finished sometime in the 2020s, sometime around the 100th anniversary of his death. He started building a cathedral to the glory of God and knew that it wouldn't be finished for a 100 years, that people wouldn't truly see it and appreciate it for a 100 years after his death. This is the principle of greatness. And my dream is that the greatest fruitfulness of my life will occur 50 years after I die. 50 years after I die, everybody's forgotten who I was, forgotten my name if they ever knew it. My name is gone forever. But 50 years after I die, more churches are being planted, more people are being saved, more communities are being transformed than I ever saw in my lifetime. And nobody would even know that I had any part whatsoever. I don't care about that. But that the name of Jesus would be held higher than it's ever been held before. Isn't this like Christ, who 2,000 years ago went to the cross? And 2,000 years later, when he died, he only had 11 followers. And 2,000 years later... More people are being saved every day than have ever been saved before. More churches are being planted. More nations are being transformed. Because Jesus was the model of the key to greatness. He gave himself to help those around him succeed. And now you have a great church like this. Filled with great people. And the key to greatness of this church as it's been, as it is, and as it will be in the future... A church that lives to lay itself, lay its life down for others. And people who give themselves to helping those around them succeed. This is a great church and you are a great people. And your greatest days are ahead of you. May it ever be with the model of Jesus. I love you. It's been wonderful to be with you today. Boy, I believe that. That's why I love this church. I love being here, and I'm a part of this church. I get to be uh, 
just as uh, useful for the kingdom's sake, just as everybody else. And, and it just so happens that we all have different giftings. So don't think just because you're not up here that you make no difference. No, every single person plays a part. We're the body of Christ. Every member working together for the cause of Christ. All those that are serving, they're out in the, you know, the parking lot right now. They're in the fellowship hall, in our life stage ministry area. Every single person plays a part. And some of you serve, but you're in service right now. And you understand what it means to serve in the kingdom of God. And as Dr. Robert was saying, even in our marriages, in our families, that when we lift others up, we ourselves are refreshed. Our families become stronger. Our communities become greater. And God's name is glorified. Do you say amen to that? Amen. Thank you, Dr. Robert, for sharing. If you want more information about Life Pacific College, then you can go to lifepacificcollege.edu. And uh, some of you even want to support uh, some of our college students that are there, uh, some that are from Hawaii, you might be able to designate it that way. But you can do online donations, and um, what a wonderful way to partner up with God in reaching the next generation for Him. And we'll see God do mighty works. And I believe, even in Life Pacific College, the greatest days are yet to come. And you are doing a remarkable job at Life Pacific College. Unbelievable. We're going to uh, close our service, uh, but we also have our Missions Sunday today. And some of you who are new today may not understand what the Missions Sunday is all about. In Foursquare, which is our denomination, we have our Foursquare Missions International, that we have missionaries around the world that are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going into remote places. Uh, we have different clinics around the world that help people with sickness and disease. And so... Our finances that we give towards Foursquare Missions International help support our missionaries around the world. And if God speaks to you, this is an over and beyond gift. It's not like a tithe. It's a, it's a gift towards Foursquare Missions. And if the Lord speaks to you, then by all means obey Him. And as we receive the offering, then uh, and the offering buckets come by, you just give it over to the Lord and you watch Him work miracles with that. But we're going to pray. We're going to pray over that special offering and then we'll close. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we thank you for being the God who is great. You've been so gracious with us. You've given us a wonderful place to come together as the body of Christ, to be refreshed in your presence, to build each other up, to be encouraged by you. We're so grateful for your word that was spoken this morning on, on the key to greatness. And it's really modeling the lifestyle that you modeled for us. And so we can do that to the rest of the world. I pray for those that are still yet searching for you. Maybe this morning they felt that tug on their heart that was drawing them closer to you. And I pray that if, if they've never said yes to you, that this would be their divine appointment with you. That this would be their moment to cross over from what seems so temporary into a place of kingdom perspective called eternity. And if you've never given your heart to Jesus, I'm going to say a prayer to lead you. But as you pray this prayer, you mean it with all your heart because the Lord hears you. And here's the prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Forgive me of my sins and wash me clean. Make me brand new. I believe you died on the cross and you rose again to give me hope and to give me a future. 
And so I thank you in Jesus' name. And with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you just said that prayer for the very first time and you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, could you just lift it real quick and briefly? I want to pray for you. Go ahead. Just lift your hand up. Go ahead. you in the back. You said yes to Jesus. Anybody else? Good. Right here. Up front. Right here. You said yes to Jesus. Hold your hands up. Nice and bold. You said yes to Jesus. Good. Back there. Back there. God bless you. God bless you. Good. Back there. You can put your hands down. And Lord, we pray for those that just said yes to you. All of heaven rejoices because those who were once lost are now found for all of eternity. And now, Lord, because they said yes to you, their life changes as a result. Help them as they walk with you that it's not about a religion or laws or rules that they have to follow, but it's a relationship that they get to build with you. And I pray that their relationship with you will be solid and sure as they continue to set their eyes on you. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the gifts that we're about to give for those that you have put on their hearts to contribute to Foursquare Missions International. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. We all said, Amen. Congratulations to those that said yes to Jesus Christ this morning. We have a yes packet at the back of our...